This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Quick tip for today, I wanted to talk about employer contributions. Uh, with this pandemic, some businesses are struggling a little bit, and so they're looking for different ways besides health plans, but there's different ways we could do it through employer contributions. Maybe there's a new employer that's growing up, so to speak, and they want to start uh, providing a benefit, but they can't pay for all the health insurance premiums. There is not one way to do this. Big question I have is what are the other small businesses doing? It's all over the place. There are some staples, sort of speaking, depending on what budgets are, but there's so many different strategies that come behind actually putting together employer contributions of how much they're actually paying towards the employees' premiums and how much they're going to pass on to their employees, whether it's just the health insurance, the dental division, life, whatever it might be. But there's definitely different strategies, and you have to work the angle. There's different ways to slice a pie. And so by providing the contribution and then given your employees a little bit more confidence in how the health plans are being restructured. There are different strategies where you could pay a little bit more on one, uh, make an appearance that that you are contributing a lot more, but you're really, at the end of the day, the dollar amount still remains the same or even drops because there's some employers that need that premium of what their portion is, the drop, so that they um, don't have a financial restraint related to healthcare, which is a huge problem for some businesses because health insurance is one of the biggest expenses, if not the biggest expenses for most employers. And they cannot figure out a way to combat it and uh, they have to start passing on more costs. So there's definitely strategies around it. The employer is looking to back off on contributions and there's different ways that you could do it. So easing the transition in steps is definitely key because you don't wanna all of a sudden pay 75% of the employee portion of the premium and all of a sudden flip it and then make the employee pay 75%, it's a little bit of a sticker shock to them. So there's definitely different steps that we could take to give you as the employer a little bit of financial relief, but also at the same time, give your employees confidence that you're not trying to let them hang out to dry on their health insurance program. You may have to reconstruct or how to put the, together the plan designs and how to offer it. So but there's ways to aid it in the process. And so you might have to add a different plan or make changes to the plan portfolio, but you could restructure it so that you're contributing certain dollars on certain ones and then have the employees, if they want richer coverage, they could buy up to it instead of uh, always doing this percentage of 75% and all the employees are jumping onto the biggest and most expensive uh, health plan available and then it's costing you more. So there's different ways to redesign it. Obviously, the other way to do it is increase wages. And so instead of worrying about changes to the health insurance, you could say, well, I'm going to lower the how much I want to pay for health insurance, but I'm going to pay you more. The only downside of this is uh, between the raising the salaries or payment uh, or pay in general uh, wages versus the premium is taxes. And so health insurance in this current time is still providing a company tax break for paying for a health insurance premium for their employee. That may change in the future because it's always on Washington Hill, but um, right now it's still there. It's one of the oldest tax breaks in corporate history. But if you pay a wage increase, uh, you have to match the FICA matching on the payroll, so your payroll costs will go up. And then whoever your payroll provider is, if there's a higher wage, they base it on the amount of a percentage of payroll in a lot of cases. 
Uh, it could be a per head, so it may not make any difference, but those are some other math that can contribute for that. So my whole point is there's definitely strategies to help ease the pain, uh, financial burden to the employer without leaving the employees hanging out the dry. And so there's different ways to do that. And contact our office if you're looking for some ideas. Otherwise, work with your broker that you're working with and walk through some of these steps um, to make sure that you could start phasing in some relief uh, without leaving your employees vulnerable. I have a very special guest by the name of Kate DeLeo. She does a lot of branding for small and mid-sized companies, and I appreciate your time coming out, Kate. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Butch. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Can you give a little bit of um, background on, on where you come from? I know it's branding, but you got into this. It sounds like it's by accident, but you could give us a little bit more of a backstory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, share a little bit of what you do. Absolutely. So high level, you know, um, I'm a brand strategist, like you said. So brand's a very fluffy word, Butch. And I think um, to kind of nail this down as to what that means in the world of marketing and branding, there's there's typically the visual side, like the design side. That's not the side I touch. In fact, if you were to ask me for a logo, I would give you a stick figure. Uh, the piece of the pie that I sell for is the messaging side. So really what I do is I get in the room with clients and I help them create that message that's really going to enable them to win work. Said differently, we help them nail down the pieces of their brand, such as tagline, value proposition statement, so on and so forth, so that they can authentically connect with that prospect and really provoke them to want to come to the table and have that conversation. That's what I do. And you asked me, you know, how in the world did you get started? Well, um, and I appreciate you asking this question because I always jokingly say I'm really an accidental brand strategist because, you know, I'm 35, I'm an older millennial, and I think maybe like a lot of millennials, if you're listening, or any entrepreneur I've ever met who's listening, uh, we've, I've had a bit of a zigzag career path. You know, I didn't exactly go to college to become a brand strategist. I actually was wanting to pursue a PhD in anthropology, of all things. So ethnography, storytelling of a very different kind. And honestly, what happened was, which is the market crashed. So here I am in school, you know, you know, rewind how many years ago, market crashed. And I had a professor, he just said, listen, Kate, you know, I really think that you should leave academia, look at getting a day job and just go pay off your debt. Because we don't know where anthropology will be necessarily in the next five years or how many positions will be open. So, of course, my parents were very excited at that advice. And I took that advice. They're like, oh, thank God she's getting a job. So I left academia. Mm -hmm. And I actually found myself in a sales job. And I promise there's a point to this story. But what ended up happening was is I landed a role doing IT sales. So what I was doing was I was cold calling IT professionals to sell them $2,000 training classes because clearly that's a smart idea because A, IT people love to be on the phone and B, they love to be sold to, right? Like, I don't know what I was thinking, but here's what's interesting. I get into this job and I was doing really well. I was killing it. And at one point I was running like a $1.2 million a year pipeline. And at one point the head of sales and marketing, you know, they came over, they're chatting with me and they're like, you know, you're new, you're young. What are you doing? We're just really curious, you know, what you're doing. Well, I was totally a problem child, but I told them, I said, 
Well, I have to be honest, I completely threw out all of your sales scripts and I totally unsubscribed everybody from your drip marketing campaigns. And they were offended, like, you know, what do you mean? And what are you doing then? You rebel. And I said, well, right, I'm (laughs) such a rebel. Well, it was an aha moment because I told them the truth. I said, here's the deal. All I do is I call these people up or I shoot them an email and I just say, hey, my name's Kate. Here's what I do. Here's how I can solve your problem. And here's how I'm different. Those three things. And I just deliver it in 15, 30 seconds, super quick, and then let them respond. And it was actually in the process of just telling them those three things that I was getting prospects to go, really, that's interesting. Can you shoot me an email for more details? Or really, can I have a conversation with you? What I realized, which was there was a better way and a, and a more simple way of delivering a short but powerful brand pitch that got the prospect to the table. That was my aha moment. And that began my journey in the world of brands. So shortly thereafter, I got recruited out into the agency world started building brands, running projects for many, many clients, and then we got recruited into corporate America to do that for a number of years. But all the while, for almost 10 years, I was a professional side hustler. I was building brands on the side and building websites on the side until about two years ago, I finally made the decision, okay, time to turn this into my full-time hustle. And so I did finally leave corporate America in 2019 and really haven't looked back since. Yeah, you bring up uh, several good points because small, mid-sized companies, especially when they're startup, family-owned, the messaging isn't always clear. Right. I want to talk a little bit about some of the the problems and challenges that businesses face, especially today's climate. We're not in the world where you could hire some salespeople to go pedal the streets as much as they used to um, because the pandemic is part of it. Other part is laziness, but the other part is just because the clientele we're going after is so busy, we're just another distraction. What are you seeing related to these challenges? And then what are some businesses trying to do to do it on their own before they actually find somebody like you? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So I'll try to answer this in a couple of quick parts. So I think the first thing that we probably all have noticed and felt, especially with the pandemic, is that we just don't have the budgets anymore, do we? The, st- the days of just being able to say, oh, I'm going to drop 5000 10000 a month on digital marketing. I mean, those days are gone for many, many, many organizations. And rightfully so, we all need to do a lot more with a lot less. And so what that has done is it has put the entrepreneur or the leader of the organization back into a position where he or she may feel like, whew, I got to get those boots out on the ground, right? I got to go knock on some doors to go get business. And so with that, we start to see that there is a sense of extreme um, anxiety, sometimes pain, because that entrepreneur, that leader is recognizing, I don't know if my message is very clear or gosh, I'm out and going to all these networking events, these Zoom networking calls, and it's not resonating. It's not clicking. And so what we're seeing is more and more companies are recognizing that they've got to get their message down so that when they show up in the room, digitally or otherwise, right, they are able to deliver a message that really gets that other person to go, okay, that's interesting. I really want to have a conversation with you. So definitely messaging is becoming far more important than it used to be. And I would say too, Butch, with that, what we've also sensed and what we're going to continue to see a trend for is that the days of just trying to rely on building a sales funnel are really dwindling because I have a firm belief and I don't know about you, but I really believe that nobody wants to be in a sales funnel, but everybody wants a seat at the table. 
And so I think companies, small organizations and mid-sized organizations who are serious about creating conversations with their customers through their messaging, through their website, engaging them, asking them to want to have that conversation, those are the companies that are seeing great traction right now. Um, and so here's the third part. With that, I think that there's a recognition that entrepreneurs and leaders really can move away from feeling a sense of anxiety to a sense of power and courage that they have what it takes to deliver a great message authentically, totally authentically to who they are, but one that's just also going to deeply resonate with the heart pain they solve for their customer. And if you can focus on that, you really are going to get qualified prospects to the table that are engaged, that want to have that conversation with you, and it frees you up to no longer feel like you have to be a slimy salesperson, which is, I honestly think, a fear of most of us, and instead put you in a position to actually be a problem solver and a collaborator. And that's what I think most of us want. So true. And, and when you're talking through that, it brings up some good memories for me being in the insurance business where back in the day when we did a lot more heavy uh, handshaking and going to networking events and you show up to the room and they ask you what you do and you say, oh, I'm Butch Zimar, um, I offer insurance products. And you know how fast right. ha- fast people get out of the room when you say that? Um, it, 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 it's <laughs> exactly. almost, yeah, almost like they end the conversation soon and then they're, they're gone. You never see them again. And so, and then you right. cha- change the message a little bit, but then some of the messages really get cheesy or they can be. And so by fine tuning it, you come across a lot clearer and you don't have people escaping out of the room because you're the next guy trying to sell a product or push a product in a room. And the message is clear that way versus being warm and just trying to solve a problem for people and, and just letting them know that uh, you're there for them. Um, if that opportunity right. is there, kind of like the email that you had said that when you were trying to build that pipeline, you just, you were simple, th- literally almost like three bullet points and that was it. And then people are like, wow, right. this is interesting. This is different. It's a little bit against um, what we're used to. In, inside a lot of what you do for your clients, you have this thing that called the brand trifecta. And I found it a little bit interesting. And um, can you explain a little bit more to our audience what uh, this brand trifecta is? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, here's the deal. In the world of branding, there's nothing new under the sun, okay? We all know what a mission and vision is, right? We all have heard of this. We know that you should probably have a tagline. And, you know, I came up with this idea of a brand trifecta because what I recognized, which was that um, the approach that I was using for branding to get the prospect to the table was actually quite formulaic. It was funny because I had played around with it for a long time in my sales career, and I really recognized Gosh, you know, when I deliver this the same way over and over and over again, regardless of the prospect type, it's unbelievable. It worked. It really, really worked. So the brand trifecta is just really what I call for my clients to get their heads around the three main things that you need to be able to deliver to your audience, whether that's on your homepage of your website or verbally in the conversation, three things in this exact order. The first thing that you need to tell them is what you do. And actually, in the world of branding, you know, the piece of the puzzle that solves that is your tagline. Your tagline says, here's what I do. This is what I do. The next piece that your your customer needs to hear is, tell me how you solved your problem. And that's your value proposition statement. A lot of us have probably heard of this. Your value proposition statement. And that's going to lead to the third thing, which is, okay, once I've told that prospect, here's what I do. 
And they got curious and they said, really? Hmm, interesting. I'd love to know more. And then you serve up the value proposition statement, which tells them the next layer of detail says, hey, here's how I solved your problem. Very specifically, Mr. or Mrs. Customer. The third thing that they need to know then is how you're different from the competition. And that's through what we call differentiator statements. That's like the one, two, three, four big bullet points that clearly speak to how you are different and better than the rest. And believe it or not, many companies don't have clearly defined differentiators. And this is where we can lose a lot of prospects. They may have a tagline. They may have a variation of a value prop, but they haven't helped that customer answer in their mind, how are you different from the rest? And in the world of buyer psychology, it's the combination of those three things that really, believe it or not, leads the prospect to actually be ready to then want to know all of the details of your product or service offering. But until they know, tell me what you do, tell me how you solve my problem, tell me how you're different, they're just not ready yet to click to go to the product page or ready yet to hear about all of the amazing features and benefits of what you do. So that's the goal, a simple brand pitch with what I call the brand trifecta. And in 15 to 20 seconds, really gives them what they need to ask the most important question. Interesting. So tell me how this works or what does that look like? That how, what question. Hey gang, ever wonder what it's like to be a small business owner? It's confusing. Weird expenses coming out of nowhere. And when you throw in health insurance, forget it. Nobody understands how that works. If you own a business, big or small, it's one of the biggest expenses you have all year long. And yet, we all wait until open enrollment at the end of the year, and then we think to ourselves, next year, next year I'll get a jump on it. And then it's another year of paying way too much. If you're a business owner, big or small, HR representative that wants to impress the boss, give Butch Zemar of Elite Benefits of America a call. Save yourself or your boss thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars a year. Reach out to Butch right now, 708-535-3006, or shoot him an email, butch at elitebenefits.net. And be sure to check out the Zmar podcast. Don't wait till the last minute. Put Butch Zmar to work for you now. So like you had said, a lot of people will come up with their tagline and maybe a value proposition. Can you give maybe one example of a company trying uh, try to explain how they're different from the rest? Yeah, a lot of differentiators. Well, by the way, this can come in a variety of ways. If you're in the tech space, you sometimes will see larger brands actually say things like, we're like Basecamp, but better. We're like Google, but for this industry. We're like, they'll make some comparisons, interestingly enough, between themselves and a big name that you may know. And to help this, the prospect get their head around, oh my gosh, I get the concept. Got it. The other thing is they can clearly call out against their competition how they are better than their competition. Sometimes that actually works. But more often than not, what I see are typically some bullet points that set, say things like ease of use, flexibility, um, for example, you know, speed for deployment. Very, very simple, concrete things that would say to this person, wow, you know what, that does sound different because when I tried to implement the other system, boy, was that a pain in the butt. Right. So if you're calling out on your homepage of your website, no, 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 we cut the hassle for you. It's very clear and simple. Uh, it's very easy to onboard. That immediately tells that person before they know all the nuts and bolts, like, okay, now I'm interested. You're telling me that you actually are better and different in these few ways. 
I'm willing to go to the next layer of detail. Yeah. And that's a great example. I appreciate you sharing that with me. And now during this process that you walk your clients through, you come up with and you actually use the name of your company and, and forgive me if I mispronounce it, it's Ennoble, right? That's correct. So you come up with this Ennoble playbook. Um, they get this playbook in the end. What's in that playbook and how can they leverage that? So I'm a very pragmatic person, to be really honest with you. Again, I think in the world of branding and marketing, most of us go, wah, wah, sounds like fluff, right? Okay. (laughs) And after being a developer and working in the tech space for a long time, I just, I love process. I really do. So what I did is I created a 30 page brand playbook and really, which this is the backbone of the process that enables me to go very deep and wide with the customer. I pull them into the room for this collaborative workshop program. So meaning I don't do what a lot of agencies do where they come in, they do a two hour intake, they go away. And then like eight weeks later, $20,000 later, they're like, here's your brand, you know, and you're just going, this is terrible. Like we avoid all of that. Like, because I believe that the leader, the entrepreneur has their brand inside of them. But what needs to happen is a process where we unlock that from their brain and synthesize that and write that down and start to help them see the patterns among those things and then wordsmith those things. So what the book does, the brand playbook does, is just that. We go through the right type of intake questions as well as go through a deep dive target audience evaluation so that coming through the gates immediately in the first couple of sessions, we know deeply, who are you? What's your core personality, character of your brand? What problem are you solving? Where are you trying to go, right? We also then know, Who's your ideal target? What are they needing? What's the deepest level heart pain you're solving for them? And what we do is we marry that information together and then we collaboratively put pen to paper to write every piece of their brand message. So what they're actually coming out of the door with written in this brand playbook is vision statement, mission statement, brand values, tagline, value proposition statement, differentiator statements, social media bio, paragraph overview of their company, AKA a company bio. They get two elevator pitches. Plus on top of that, I then teach them how to deploy this. So what's really great is I show them because I'm a developer. Okay, here's what goes where in what order on your homepage. Here's what goes where on your about page and your services page from what we just wrote. I then talk to them. How do you update your LinkedIn? How do you update your social media? How do you then create a social media strategy? How do you update your pitch decks, proposals, sales sheets? So honestly, in only about three to four weeks, when they come through this with me, they have every piece of their brand written and they have their marching orders. They know what to say and exactly what they need to do to update their messaging so that they can hit the ground running. That's what they get with the brand playbook. And that's great because uh, then they have a tool to reference uh, during times that maybe that you uh, are no longer engaged, um, but they can still take useful information they learn from you and then obviously uh, deploy it and then go back and actually uh, reference it. And that's the one thing I know with a lot of other consultants that are out there, they kind of, if you're not engaged anymore, you're just used, using the pieces of the puzzles that were there when um, you guys were engaging. Well, at least you're actually handing over a good book. There's more value there. You're walking them through a process. You're, you're definitely giving them this brand trifecta that uh, can make a huge impact, impact on their business. And, uh, and I think that's great. And during the times that we're running into now, I think a lot of bis- small and mid-sized companies really need this. They need to really push in a different direction. And myself, being, being on the employee benefit side of things, in the past 12 months, we've had companies that closed because they couldn't figure out how to retool and, and get out there fast enough. And 
obviously that's par for course. Uh, there's always a cycle that uh, rings out the, the bottom ones, but we don't want to see people go out of business and they need to have a path and a plan to actually move into a different direction, especially with current times, not able to do certain things as they were able to. We're still not able to do certain things that we were able to do even two, three, four years ago, uh, let alone what just happened in the last 12 months. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree more than ever. I think what we need to do is recognize that we, for, for our business success and overall success, we've got to take ownership, right? We've got to get back into the driver's seat. And the great part is, is that when you do that, when you really decide to look at your message, revise, improve, and then own it, you have this sense of empowerment that this is not you having to outsource your branding and your marketing to somebody else anymore. In fact, what's really exciting about where we're at right now is you have more power than you've ever had before to hit the ground running and deliver a message that you are so excited about that's really going to resonate with the right people. And you're going to see an increase in qualified, excited prospects that come to the table. And I think that's what we all want. We want to work with great people. We want customers who really are excited to work with us and vice versa. That's the power of brand is you really start to build synergy and alignment between you and your customers, and you really will see an increase in work. Well, this has definitely been great. And I think there's a lot of value for the business owners that actually listen to this podcast. And I think businesses need to at least take a couple things from this podcast um, and, and make it work for them. But if somebody wanted to get a hold of you for more information about what we talked about or uh, engage you in some fashion, uh, what's the best way for them to go a hold of you? Well, the best way for them to get a hold of me is you can certainly go and check out my website, which is ennoble.com. I'll spell that for you. It is E N N O. B B L E dot com. That's E double N O double B L E dot com. Or you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Kate DeLeo. Last name is D I L E O. Well, this has definitely been great. I appreciate your time and I hope to reconnect with you soon in the future. Great. Thank you so much, Butch. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>